welcome to the very, very first episode of the Output Gallery podcast. So the episodes that follow on from this will be a little bit different from this one. The plan with this podcast is to make artist interviews with everybody that exhibits in the gallery and, you know, talk a little bit about the artist's practice, their inspirations, what they've decided to do in their time at Output Gallery and generally their experience of being an artist from or based in Merseyside, which is the remit we work in. But just to start with, I'm going to do a kind of origin story podcast to take you through how the gallery came to be, you know, how it operates, why it has chosen to only work with local artists, and a a few more of the politics that have gone into shaping uh, what Output Gallery is. Because we've just had our second birthday but it happened bang in the middle of quarantine and there was no easy way to celebrate it but the whole pandemic has made me realize how much more effort I need to put into online content for the gallery not just because you know there might be a second lockdown in which case uh, people will still be able to engage with content over the internet but also because I think um it's a much more accessible way to engage with content and sometimes going to an exhibition, seeing what's on the walls, picking up a press release, um, doesn't quite give you as full of a picture of who that artist is, where they're coming from, when they make the art that they make. So that's the plan. That's the plan with the whole thing. And let's get started today with Output Gallery's origin story. Before we get to the output origin story, I'll give the tiny origin story about me um, because it will go on to inform the rest of the information that I give you. So my name is Gabrielle Del Puente. I am from and based in Liverpool, even though my accent is like slightly softened because I went to London to study in uni and then I quickly came back. But I went to Central St. Martins to, to do fine art, a BA in fine art. And Even before the course, I was like completely convinced I was going to be a painter. And as the course went on, that changed a little bit. And I started to enjoy putting on exhibitions a little bit more. And also, I really enjoyed writing. Um, Whether that was writing in the work that I was making or just writing for writing's sake. Or whether that was applied to art reviews. Um, There was another studio member and who I was friends with, Zarina Mohammed And when it came to our third and final year, at the very beginning of that, we'd had this conversation about how we didn't read anything that the university told us to read. Like, we didn't find it interesting. We didn't find the people who had written it to be interesting. So why would we spend our time with it? Like, we thought maybe it would be funny if we started a website ourselves and taking the white cube name as an inspiration um the white cube being a gallery chain across the world but also the idea that art is best viewed in this perfect white space and it's like this objective sanctimonious experience um we used the white cube name as an inspiration and called our website the white pube because we were young (laughs) we didn't have any and uh, we did think it would be funny to be like a little bit unprofessional with what we were doing um, we got into this routine of writing exhibition reviews every weekend 
and that you know years later is now still our job four and a half years later so before output gallery had even existed I was a fully fledged art critic by nature of one day saying oh should we start a website as a joke (laughs) um but what had happened is when I'd moved back to Liverpool I had then obviously been writing about the exhibitions in Liverpool um and about how the art scene functions and I was starting to speak to a lot of artists in the city and to get to know um how the scene worked and maybe the problems that people had with it because for me as an art critic it wasn't just the exhibition experience that was of interest but also the creative industries as a whole you know like the these issues of no one in the art world gets paid for what they do everything's voluntary or the people that do get paid get paid like six figure sums to to be directors of a gallery space or you know then they're never unfortunately like representative of the the general population they're normally white middle class and they then go on to exhibit white middle class people and I think when I came back to Liverpool it was very quickly obvious that no one from Liverpool exhibited in the galleries and this was something that I was starting to write about and starting to think about and I would visit friends who were studio members and again it was just like okay this is a problem and I'm not sure I'm not sure (laughs) if I can fix it I was just almost like documenting it behind like uh, um, from afar because at that point I didn't really make any art myself I was just writing about it and then one day I get this magical email from someone called Venya Krutikov at the Casimir and I had a vague sense of what the Casimir was and my vague sense was that it was the Casimir Gardens on Seal Street which is like an outdoor bar and for that reason I was a little bit confused as to why they were emailing me and anyway I'm gonna read you uh, the email because that's fun (laughs) so it says hey open eye gallery suggested to get in touch about a project we are setting up and see if it may be of interest i work at the casimir not sure how much you know about the work and the spaces but we have recently finished the first phase of fixing up our old workshop in the city center next door to the casimir gardens on seal street it's the indoor part of the garden which has sustained a pretty full frontal assault over the past couple of years from all the building work, including taking the entire first floor off and leaving us exposed to the elements for a sweet few months. Anyway, they have finished and it's currently a white-walled vassal state. It's pretty big, has its own glass-fronted entrance from Seal Street, nice high ceiling, it has pretty low overheads and just feels like a really good opportunity to open a gallery space right in the city centre. We aren't looking to add to the garden as some sort of additional bar space, as I think it would be a wasted opportunity, but rather take advantage of its really prime location to try and re-inject some more ad hoc, temporary use of space projects that we were able to be a part of when we first moved to the city 10 years ago and started the Casimir, alongside a host of other exciting projects like Mellows, uh, TAO, dumbbells etc appreciate it was a different economic climate but that access to empty spaces right in the city center was really exciting and I feel like it's currently missing okay so that's the main chunk of the email from Venya that I got it was an email that came through in 
the very beginning of 2018 I think maybe February or March and it just like felt like a once in a lifetime opportunity and I saw it and I got in touch and we met up and I again hadn't really met I hadn't met any of the Casimir staff before or didn't really have a complete idea of what it is that they did uh so I met them and Venya explained to me that the Casimir was and kind of still is Casimir Productions so their interests are in these like big giant live music events with you know lights and sound and special effects and they do these commissions and big technologized sculptures and that had all come together in the Casimir space so they originally had a really big club in Wollstonehome Square which is uh part of the ropewalks area in the city centre in Liverpool and it used to you know be opposite cream it used to be next to Wollstonehome art space so it was a really creative kind of part of the city a lot of people have said to me since uh, that it had like the best acoustics for live music which again I'm like really gutted that I missed out on but it was a little bit before my time but it was part of this whole Wollstonehome area that unfortunately was bought out and everything had to leave and it's been redeveloped and it's now just like identical flats that line the whole square but all those projects have gone and the Casimir um, garden opposite was almost like you know supposed to be a temporary project it was supposed to be a bit of like an outdoor smoking area to the original club that was in the back. So they had a little bit of space inside where they would use as a workshop space for these live events that they would produce at the club. But once the main venue had been shut down, that big, um, that workshop space was redundant. And they, you know, that's that's what this email is saying. It's basically that, you know, that workshop space is something they don't need anymore because the main Casimir operations actually moved to just north of the city and opened the Invisible Wind Factory. And did I, or did someone I know, think that they could use it in a creative, interesting way? Yes. <laughs> so at this meeting with Venya, where he gave me a fuller picture of the Casimir's kind of work and their politics, I felt like we really kind of gelled and I had almost all this ammo and all this, all these receipts of like, this is what I think is wrong with the Liverpool art scene. Um, if you were to let me run a gallery, I could try and present a solution to those problems. You know, if the issue is that people from Liverpool aren't shown, then I would like to only work with people from or based in Merseyside. I had some other thoughts as well that like, the exhibition schedule was just so slow in the city that, you know, in January, if you had seen the exhibition on at Bluecoat, Fact, Tate and The Walker and Open Eye Gallery, then you'd have to wait until like May to see anything new. And for me, because I was coming at this originally from a critic's point of view, I was struggling to find things to write about because I had a schedule to keep up with and I just felt like, you know, we need we need we need more. We need something that has a has a higher turnover. So that was another part of my my thinking when it came to what were 
the gallery do and and having a high turnover is something that the Casimir really wanted as well you know to give some people a reason to always nip in when they're in town like if it's in the city centre and people are, are coming in anyway for other reasons then if there is like a new offer every two weeks or so then they can pop in they can be inspired they can learn about a new artist every time they come I've already said that I had a little bit of an issue with you know cultural gatekeepers and who got to decide who was who was on show in these galleries only ever choosing like middle middle class white people and it being really exclusionary so my my attempt from the beginning was to try and create an intersectional program that even I didn't want to be like too loud about that I just wanted it to be the normality because I didn't want to put the pressure on the artists either or tokenize them in any way like I just wanted to show even maybe just (laughs) all of those middle-class curators that there was so much in the city there's so much already here that they don't need to be looking elsewhere they can they can come to output gallery they can see what's what who who is in this city and who's operating and then hopefully that those people would go on and they would show in these more established galleries that you know have national portfolio uh, funding and you know just more resources and more staff members than little old me trying to <laughs> trying to make it all work and then the other final mark when it came to designing output gallery was that I had had an issue with other galleries that didn't accept submissions so because I'd had so many friends in the art scene and not just in Liverpool but in different kind of London and Birmingham and Newcastle and Glasgow everyone was coming up against the same issue after they'd left their fine art course which is that they didn't actually know how to get an exhibition because they would send exhibition proposals to various galleries and then they'd get if they got a response they would get a response that said oh no, we don't take submissions. And it was a case of like, well, how, how are they ever going to know I exist if, if I can't just send an email with, oh, this is the work that I make, I'd love to have an exhibition. It seemed to be against the etiquette of the art world in a way that I felt like was so unnecessary. Like, it just does not, I don't understand why you would not accept submissions. It's, it's like free research. It's some, oh, I don't get it. So, when it came to design an output gallery, I wanted to flip the name and invite people to give their input. So output would run input. And input was a philosophy, um, if I can call it that, that input was always welcome. Like if someone wanted to input uh, a name or like throw a name into the hat and that name was even their own, that that would be absolutely fine. Like, yeah, okay. Let me, have you got any pictures? What's your name? What's your contact? Let me write it all down. Um, But input would also be any criticism, if there was any issues with the gallery, if my aims to try and make it representative or hyperlocal or hyperactive were not functioning in the way that the art scene needed it to be, then I would want the art scene to just feel welcome to let me know that so I could shift things around. And I felt like output's input philosophy was important because hopefully it would give people a stake into the gallery and, and they would feel like they had helped decide what it became and what it was always going to be becoming because and everyone wanted it to be like oh this is the gallery now and I'm not going to think about it again this is how it functions like 
as a critic and as someone who is writing about the art scene all the time um I I want it to adapt and you know even now in in this podcast like I'm doing this because of the pandemic and I'm trying to think okay well going forward if if we don't actually get as many visitors in person what are we gonna have to do to get the art to people and to their heads and is there a way to kind of shift that around so again I've asked input from our artists and like all these different people um is there something that we can do do they still want the gallery to exist in the same way it does so besides just being this idea and this hope that I had that people would feel like they could just say what they wanted and I would listen input was actually also a live event which happened a few months into the gallery so I'd said all of these thoughts to the Casimir team and I'd met a few of the other directors and they really liked it they decided to invest um a little bit of money into a pilot project and I say invest money I think I want to just reiterate that that was that was good (laughs) that was a really good thing like the Casimir could have easily made this more bar space they could have made it into something that would give them revenue but they recognized that what was happening in the city center was uh stripping away of that more like risque art stuff that does not generate (laughs) any money and um they wanted to make space for that and accommodate it which is why they had sent this email to ask if which which is why they had sent this email to me in the first place the pilot period covered about one day a week of work for me uh, the artists that we worked with at the very beginning and they paid for like a logo you know so the output had a brand because the Casimir is a production team and they have all this expertise and equipment they were able to outfit the space with things like a projector and make sure that it was like suitable for a gallery and that they were kind of getting all that ready while I was figuring out what it would even do and who would even exhibit at the space we had about three weeks between that conversation of like okay this sounds like it could be a thing let's do it and the opening day which was very short (laughs) and I had to then just run off and pick some artists two of the first three exhibitors came from Liverpool John Moores University where I'd just done some teaching Uh, One of them was Dan Wayne, who was working in installation and sound and light and who, as a part of her exhibition, also did a sound making workshop using contact mics against different objects and also showed Tarkovsky's Stalker in a film screening. And then we had an exhibition from Hasnat Sikandar, who had a shed that she had destroyed as part of her degree show and she was bringing the pieces to output and rebuilding the shed next to three moving image works and she also did an incredible performance as a part of her show and uh, a film screening as well and the third exhibitor was Kate Cooper and Kate is an artist that works internationally and she actually is based in Amsterdam but I wanted to get in touch with her specifically because she's an artist I'd met in London who had said to me that, you know, it's a shame that she can't move back to Liverpool because she doesn't feel like she would get enough work there compared to somewhere like London or Amsterdam where she lives. So I wanted her to exhibit because I was trying to change this culture of, oh, Liverpool artists can't get work in Liverpool. And I wanted Kate to be a part of that. After those three exhibitions I then 
went on to do input which was a four-day weekend where people could come into the gallery and again just ask for an exhibition if they wanted it or request what they wanted the gallery to do I'd told people that my plan was to use this pilot period to try and get Arts Council funding and that now was the time to have a conversation like now was the time to show me that I was trying to do this I was trying to put the funding application together and I needed to kind of lay it all out and see what was available and there was a queue out the door of artists who either wanted to just come for a chat some people had portfolios with them some people weren't artists but just enjoyed going to art galleries and they wanted to request you know different they wanted to see paintings they wanted to see a lot of photography like whatever it was I had a record of all of these different requests and the busyness of those input events was like very strange validation where I was really glad that they were busy but also really sad that it was so needed like it felt like one of the only opportunities where people could come forward without that sense that they were that they were violating some sort of etiquette where they shouldn't ask for what they wanted like there were artists of all ages um, and all kind of levels of experience of exhibiting that had come through and it made my job a lot easier as a curator but again it felt strange. I was able to see firsthand this problem of scarcity and I was glad then that that's the focus of the whole gallery that we were only going to show and work with people who are from or based in Merseyside. And then the input events ended. I felt like it had been completely enlightening and I opened up my laptop. I started writing the Arts Council application and I put in an application for £12,863 for a programme that would run from October 2018 to March 2019. And it would be 11 exhibitions 49 events, uh, 69 artists would be on the initial bid, it would bring 96 days of employment and I haven't got a drum but we got it <laughs> and it set off a very very lucky streak of Arts Council applications so out of those input um sessions and a little bit of my own research of people that I thought uh, might not have attended input but they should have an exhibition at the gallery. That Arts Council money then enabled a program that I'll go through quickly in case you aren't too familiar with Output Gallery but I think it gives a good sense of like the type of space and the type of stuff that I want to put on. The very first exhibition was a collaboration with Liverpool Irish Festival and we were able to commission Sora Ha Boyle. The second show was an exhibition by John Davies who is a British photographer 
and his show was very purposeful. He had done these portraits of trees using infrared photography and they were all trees that were due to be cut down if a redevelopment happened in Calderstones Park in Liverpool and he wanted to do the exhibition on the specific dates that he'd come to input to ask for because the campaign group he was working with were going to be going to court in Manchester to try and save the park from from redevelopment. Luckily, they won. <laughs> we found out a few months later and actually the sales of photographs from this exhibition went towards the judicial costs, which was great. Um, most, I would just say, if anyone is interested, most exhibitions don't kind of happen with that like sale as a really kind of prominent thing, but this was definitely more of like a fundraiser. The exhibition that happened after John Davies was called Beyond the Blue and it was a show by and for the volunteers at Bluecoat, which is a big gallery just around the corner from us. Uh, it was great. It was like a whole mix of different types of work. And in a similar sense, the show after that was called Output Open. There were a lot of people who came through to input who had like, you know, some work that they'd made that was great but maybe it couldn't translate into like a whole exhibition and initially the output open exhibition was a mix of like those people and a few other artists that I really wanted to work with and it was a group show of 12 artists and as a part of that I was able to hire John Edgley as a curator and he he kind of did it all so he put the show together. The show that followed on from that was called Radical Women's Dance Party which was titled Against Immigration Detention and kind of as it sounds it was a series of workshops it also ended with a fundraiser for women at Yarlswood um, after that there was a solo exhibition by Michael Lacey uh, who had presented all these different collages it's the same Michael Lacey who has done the jingle for this podcast as well um, just before Christmas in that year we also did an exhibition with the Offie who are a duo Greg Herbert and Lenny Venables and they make artist merchandise. Uh, when we were coming into 2019 there was a solo exhibition by Kevin Casey called Shouldn't Throw Stones The View of a Night Watchman and it was a series of photographs and archival material. Um, after that we had Rooted in the Space who also took over curatorial duties and they showed a Benny Sheen, Ivy Kalunji and Kiara Mohammed and Rooted if you, again if you, I'm not too familiar with like the Liverpool art scene Rooted are a zine who work to highlight and platform and inspire artists of colour across the northwest. Um, after that we had two more shows Um, one of them was Mark Leckie so Mark Leckie is Turner Prize winner big giant name in the art world <laughs> I'd met him in London when he came to do a lecture at the university and he was a reader of the White Pube, the website that everyone. So once he'd heard about Output Gallery's pilot period, he was like, well, I want an exhibition too. And I was like, I'm not going to complain. Because the hopes were that, you know, having such a big name would not only be something that people would really enjoy, but it would help raise the entire profile of the artist, which is something that I was trying to do. I was trying to essentially put some pressure on the bigger galleries to show that there was so much going on. Um, and the hopes of having an artist like Mark work with us, uh, I think really did succeed in raising the profile. 
and the final exhibition of the initial Arts Council Gallery funded programme was by Gina Sang and Gina had gotten a travel scholarship from doing her MA at Liverpool John Moores University and had gone to China to see her family and she made a film and we did like a double projection it was great it was it was really really good Uh, so that was a complete blur looking back at it I'm like I personally was trying to figure out how to run a gallery. <laughs> um, it was so much work for one person. I was I, my job was set at three days a week, um, and you know that covers everything. That covers like shaping the identity of the gallery and its aims, writing the funds and applications, and with the funds and application, as soon as you've kind of done one, you need to get started on the next one, and you need to keep track of everything and write an evaluation. Uh, you need to keep track of the budget as well Uh, I was using my time on the job to like partner with local institutions and schemes to collaborate but also to get some match funding Um, I was trying to program I was trying to deliver the exhibitions in that in that very first period we also I had something called culture club that ran every Wednesday and it I in my head it was going to be like this show and tell like you know it could be that we watch a YouTube video or listen to a podcast and discuss it or read something um it wasn't as successful as I thought it was going to be but we tried it and it didn't work some of the other events that happened as a part of that initial period were art socials and group crits both of which were requested from input and both of which were were highly um, attended so my work covered like all these different phases you know audience development with local schools uh, sending out a mailing list and social media output and installing the exhibitions and then photographing them and just all these all these different things so it was a lot to deal with and a lot to get used to because I was doing that and then also uh, still keeping up my job as a critic the reason the gallery is kind of able to function as well as it is um is down to total recall vintage which I've not mentioned yet because I think it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a quick story but once we'd gotten the news that that first arts council application was successful we realized that like a change needed to be made so during the pilot period the Casimir Gardens bar next door had set up like a tiny little cafe at the very front of the gallery and so when that tiny cafe was open the gallery would be open and in that sense it wouldn't need any invigilation or you know I didn't have to be there every hour that it was open because because there was a staff member in the cafe and you know we we tried the cafe but it didn't quite work as a cafe like it wasn't quite comfortable enough and um when we'd got the news that the Arts Council bib was coming through and um, the Casimir Gardens decided to stop the cafe which was completely understandable. It meant that I needed to find a replacement and I put out a call to the internet to say if you are a business in the city, if you're like reliable, if you're looking for space then I'm able to give someone free rent for you know the five months that this Um, arts council bid was going to run for if you're able to open at least like the Thursday to Sunday that I had told the arts council we would be open for I had about two weeks to find someone and I 
met with a ton of different people and I was quite panicked because I thought oh my god the whole thing's gonna fall apart and fortunately some of the two of the people that I met in there were Pete and Kirsty from Total Recall who had run a vintage store for the past eight years at that point and they actually were like oh we want to open every day we we, we just want to run a vintage store and we a supporter of the arts and we we want to open every day so it was a perfect fit and again like they they came in I think it took maybe like two weeks later they moved in I can't quite remember the timeline but it meant then that every exhibition that we'd put on and every exhibition that I described to you just then was able to open seven days a week and for such a tiny gallery I felt like that was just a real um draw having Total Recall Vintage has felt like the biggest most positive part of running the gallery I think because it definitely turned it from strange white cube space into a very casual destination whereby you could pop in to see what the exhibition was but you could also then get some clothes and maybe then go next door to the Casimir Gardens for a drink And I really saw that and I still see that when we have openings because people will come in really excited for the exhibition but then they'll just hang out, they'll get a drink, they'll bring it back through, they'll go and look at the exhibition again and then they'll be like, oh, I keep seeing that bag and I really want to buy it. Oh, I'm just going to buy it. And it has felt for me like when Total Recall Vintage finally came into the space that that was a similar kind of effect of also the white pube whereby like where the white pube never wanted to be this like stuffy arts journal it just wanted to be like two people having a chat speaking about art and this for me has really like helped align the two things like I feel like they're two sides of the same coin you know output gallery and the white pube and I love it so after we had done the whole cycle I went through again input finding out what people wanted going for the arts council again and we we got it again we got another twelve thousand pounds but this time it was to do seven months and there was some more match funding that made the the um budget bigger and made it all equal out which was just amazing it meant like it meant this this whole building excitement around a gallery that was for its local art scene would, was able to continue and I'm glad that the Arts Council really recognised that it was so needed. Um, we did 16 exhibitions, we supported 85 uh, artists this time, we did 17 events rather than like whatever the crazy number was the first time because I scrapped Culture Club, rest in peace Culture Club. One of the main differences between the first bid and the second bids was that I also added a curatorial trainee and it wasn't so much about me needing help because I felt like I was in the swing of things this time but it was a chance to train people up like it's very difficult to get jobs in the arts but if you've had a traineeship or something like that and there you've done many different um tasks as a part of that traineeship then hopefully that would then go on to help with other long-term employment so we did a traineeship and um, I found Esther Lal Durawaju and it was great. It worked really, really great. Um, she said it was the happiest she'd ever felt in a working environment. <laughs> so that's the review. Our 
visitor number also doubled over the second bid and I think partly that's from this building momentum and building conversation around the gallery existing for people who hadn't quite seen it in the first round but also I had created loyalty cards for the gallery which sounds a little bit crazy but because we have such a high turnover I wanted to try and find a way to like reward the people who come to everything and also to incentivize people who haven't who who maybe come to quite a few things but maybe if there's a name that they don't know they will just skip it I wanted to try and gamify it a little bit and be like well if you come to all of them then we'll give you something great (laughs) we'll give you a present and the very first like present if you completed the loyalty card was this like holographic output brooch from Animal Hen, who's a jewellery designer based at Invisible Wind Factory. So that was boss. So I'll run through the output gallery second bid programme in case in case you've not seen it. So there was a solo exhibition by Lucy Jane Smith. There was the second edition of Output Open 2. We did more input. We did an exhibition with six form students at the Belvedere Academy. There was a solo exhibition from Amber Akanu, a solo exhibition from Catherine Dorelli. There was a solo exhibition from Yasmin Ali, who we found through a open call with Liverpool Arab Arts Festival. Uh, another solo by Roy Claire Potter. Then we did Queer Trash Cinema Club and had a solo exhibition, but also our first commission with Francis Disley. I'd also wanted to hand over curatorial responsibilities again, so it wasn't me who was picking everything. And I had asked curators at Open Eye Gallery to pick someone, and they produced an exhibition with Scott Charlesworth. So after that, we did a volunteers exhibition, like we had done last time with Bluecoat, but this time around we did it with Fact. Um, that was followed by a duo exhibition by Lucy Archer and Talia Lang, who were both in the very first output open exhibition but because of the way that John Edgeley had curated their work together in the corner they started to collaborate and (laughs) they have been collaborating ever since so we really wanted to bring them back to have an exhibition. That exhibition was then followed by a show from Ivy Kalunji who had shown again in the last program but as a part of the Rooted show This came about because we'd done a partnership with FACT and said that whoever their HOPE graduate resident is, they can have a solo exhibition output and it ended up being Ivy. And then that was followed on from Joanna de Oliveira Guerrero, who did a solo exhibition as well. Something that, an an exhibition that ran concurrent to all of those was Output Open 3. I think as time has gone on, I've been really interested to see what it would be like to work with some of these other spaces that have more money and resources and one of those was Make and they were just about to open their new space in Hamilton Square in Birkenhead so we did an output open three with them with um, 10 different artists as well. We're very very nearly up to present day so I'll, I'll try and speed it up a little bit because again the whole cycle happened of input, finding out what people wanted, writing an arts council bid and Because of the amount of work that goes into even doing that, I wanted to do a slightly longer programme. 
I'd also wanted to bump up the artist fee. I wanted to have more curatorial trainees because that had been so helpful according to Esther. And I wanted to put more money into the marketing of everything and just really try and like raise the bar for everything that we did. And we managed to get a tiny way in um, to the programme. So we actually did three exhibitions before lockdown hit. The first was Output Open 4. Then we had a solo exhibition from Joseph Cockgrave. And then we had a solo exhibition from Lo Tierney. And then that's when it ended. <laughs> and it's been really, really weird to kind of live without Output Gallery um, over quarantine. But it's also been a good time to reflect on everything the gallery has achieved. And, and you know, think about the art scene that it is existing in like it's very it's a very strange role to be the gallery manager of a space like this that is trying to fill a gap and to make opportunities for people when being in that role still means saying no to some people because obviously there can only be so many exhibitions in a year uh, another problem is like not being able to hire anybody else like my role covers three days a week, but there is much more work to do than those three day three days. So it would just be unethical to bring someone else into that or to split um, my pay in half in order to, to pay someone else because I would then be roping that other person into not the best working situation. Um, and I just don't believe in that. I think like I've just got to work to find the money and then I can hire some someone properly. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's all very strange. Like what we get even with output is people asking to pay to exhibit because, you know, they want to have a show. And I, I explained to them that actually we pay them. Uh, it's not really for hire in like the traditional sense of some smaller commercial spaces. Like, although we have hired it once or twice to make match funding so that we can get that Arts Council bid through the gate. Um, but, it, you know, people aren't used to that. People at a more emerging level who maybe haven't ever exhibited, they've just, you know, made work at home or something. Like, they're not used to being paid because so many smaller schemes are like, oh, you know, 50 quid, 75 quid to show here. So it's hard. It's It's hard to kind of... It's hard to balance that like responsibility with like uh trying not to repeat the the bad practice that you see other cultural gatekeepers um upholding. And like I remember the director of fact saying to me that the very first bid I was putting in uh for the money for output was was gonna be like pushing an open door. I just remember that phrase. And he said to me that like the Arts Council is aware that more needs to be done to th for this region. And that's what I feel weird about because I don't know if it should be on the underdogs to try and solve the whole problem. And yet I still feel a responsibility. Like I'm not just going to close up shop because I think everyone else should do the work. Like I'm still very glad when even just showing at output gives an artist enough visibility and enough maybe softer institutional validation to be recognised by the other other spaces in the city. And there are people I know who've, for example, shown in Output Open, who I've then been able to like recommend for a show in Europe. And then they've gone on to show in all these different cities and little things like that. Or, 
you know, an artist shows here for the first time and then the blue coat gets in touch with them to run a workshop and then that goes on to like, you know, possibly be an exhibition at a later date. There are all these kinds of chains of, of um, you know, moving up a career ladder that is great and it's exciting. Uh, but I don't know, I've, I believe that um, those galleries are only kind of starting to reach out to local artists because of the pressure that output has put on them. And I just feel like I go through swings and roundabouts of being really excited about that and also just kind of disappointed that it's taken this long um, because that pressure is great, but it's a conversation output has picked up on that was already happening. And it's one now that is echoed by the artists and audiences that come through our doors. But it's, you know, it's what we talk about at art socials and group crits. And it's what everyone wants because they want a fairer art scene where everyone gets a chance, everyone um, can show no matter what their identity is, whether and to not feel like unsafe or uncomfortable or tokenized in these typical, um, you know, cis, white, straight art spaces that are just for like middle class culture vultures. And I don't know. I, I feel torn about it because I also know that output is part of the problem in the artist wages are just so like bitty compared to someone who might be on the curatorial side of things like myself where um even though just to just for a reference I just I wouldn't necessarily call myself a curator because I do just feel like the gallery manager like I just manage the stuff that happens with and through output gallery um I think like artists artists have had this problem and then through the pandemic it's just come to a head a little bit where like people can't stand for these like small pots of money that everyone is competing for when the person who decides who actually gets that money is someone who's on a salary or someone who you know is going to get regular pay because they're the curator and they do all the administration and they get to make the decisions and for me like I'm, I'm kind of on that side but not completely because I'm still freelance and it's not like I was able to get furlough or, or even like I couldn't get sick pay or anything like that because of the nature of self-employment um but comparably it is better than like you know what artists have to deal with in this day and age and ultimately what I would want to see is um, a universal basic income or a salary for artists like some other countries have and I don't know how to get there but <laughs> but I would love to see it there are other things as well like if I was to push my imagination out a little bit where like I'm really happy with with output um but I think that it should be funded by the city council because it is so hyper-local, I also think that it's something that could be replicated across the city because there's obviously such a quota for people who could show here and should be showing at the at the space, but I just can't accommodate everyone because of, of time. Um, and if there were multiple outputs in the city, like, that would be great, but output could also just be a franchise of, you know, output Glasgow, output Hull, like, output Middlesbrough there could be all these different spaces that support local artists and just give money and you know put 
money in people's pockets and I don't know how to make that happen but that's kind of like my long-term goal with this Uh, I just again have no idea and I've tried to speak to the people in the know but if you're a rich person listening please send me a message (laughs) if you've got any idea how to make that happen or again more ideas about working with the council because I think this is I think they should pick up on all of this I think um yeah I think it should it should happen so I've got mixed emotions about the whole thing I'm really happy but uh who knows I I just I'm never I don't think I'm ever going to be satisfied until there is something like um universal basic income so artists can make freely and be supported in their making in a better way, in a more long-term, stable way. So uh, before I leave you and round this all off, I'm going to um, go through the 2020 programme that is still to come and which will now go through to 2021. Um, it has all been reshuffled and redated as well behind the scenes, but I will only be sharing like one or two exhibition dates at a time in case of a second lockdown. And you know, on the 2020 uh, programme yet to come, We've got solo exhibitions from Samoya Keda, Mali Draper and Dan Wayne. Radical Women's Dance Party are going to come back. Donal Maloney. We're going to do another Liverpool Arab Arts Festival collaboration because I'm really enjoying how they're going. The Singh Twins are going to do a show. Kiara Mohammed, Shaila Kamari, Singh Behrman, Hasnat Sikanda, Golda Kanbi, Nick Smith. And we're going to have Output Open 5 as well. We're also having two music residencies one of which will be done by golden harvest and the second by podge so there's so much to come and i hope this has been enlightening and i hope you've got a good sense now of where this has all come from and what this is trying to do if you've got any questions or feedback or you've got requests for future episodes of the podcast um please email me so my name's gabrielle and the email address is output at the uk, and Casimir is spelled k-a-z-i-m-i-e-r you can follow us on twitter and instagram at output gallery and we're on facebook as well we list things on eventbrite art rabbit facebook events and hopefully when the world is back to normal i'll see you in the gallery one day okay thank you so much for listening Bye-bye.